what we're going to talk about, huh? I guess we can just do it on the fly. Uh, yeah, I, I've got some questions, and you can maybe think about uh, this subject because uh, we're going to. I want to focus a little bit on your uh, mental growth and in, in the game. We talked last time a little bit about it. You know, getting used to the crowd, getting used to the moment, the mm-hmm. intensity of it. Yeah. Because you're you're pretty young to be you know experiencing all that, yeah. Uh, so, um, so I want to question you on this last uh, tournament to see uh, your perspective on if you've changed anything between the tournament before, and if if the if the effect of the intensity of the moment has changed a little bit for you, get more used to that moment maybe, and used to the crowds, and and certainly there's people cheering for you at these tournaments. Yeah. Uh, you know, they're a popular I mean, guy in Wisconsin. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. Well, yeah. Okay. I got to The fellow who's setting my table just knocked on my door. I'll be right back. Well, that's fun. We didn't want to rob in here anyways. Did we Sam? We just wanted to see <laughs> you and me. Well, we kind of hinted at it. You got fifth through eighth at the Wisconsin Open. How fun, How much fun was that? Uh, it was a lot of fun. Got to got to play a lot of pros. Got some got some good experience. It was a you got a few scalps, a didn't you? What? You got a few scalps, didn't you? Yep. Yep. I think take I, us through. Who'd you beat? So uh, in the first round, I drew I drew Mika Eminen. Got him two to one. Got him in the shootout. And then second match played Jeremy Seaman. Match didn't go as planned in the first set, but I ended up pulling it out. Uh, got him in the second set in the shootout, and then the next day I beat Kang Lee two to zero uh, to get into the final sixteen. And then my last sixteen match can't pronounce his name. Not going to butcher the name, uh, but I beat him two to zero. And then I lost to Vitali Petsero in the quarterfinals, two to one. Got beat in the third set. You won the first set too, right? In that one, if I'm not mistaken. No, I won. Uh, I won the second set against Vitali. You won the second set, okay. Yep. Pretty good stuff. What'd you take away from it? Uh, those predator tables play tough. There, I I got to get used to them. The the slide, I got to get used to that. Um, I just got to get overall overall better with my mental game. I would say. Um, when I got to that quarterfinal match. I was thinking, you know, this is good enough. No, I can't think like that. I just gotta, just gotta keep going. Just gotta keep grinding. Sure. Well, you you are. Uh, we won't call you a basket case because that's not true. But uh, you do get quite a bit anxious when you play, don't you? I get, I get very anxious. Very anxious. To the point where, I, going into, I guess, uh, some personal details. Uh, you didn't even like having anybody that you knew, like, no, watch you play. Yep. Yeah. I like to, I don't know why I do it, but I just, I don't, I don't really like when a lot of people watch me play, especially, especially pros. Like when I was in the the shootout with, with Jeremy Seaman, I noticed that Joshua Filler and Tyler Schneider were both watching. It's like, crap. I'm going to, here we go. This is, this is the end. This is the end of my (laughs) career right here. I missed this ball and, they're all going to think, oh, that's the worst pool player in the building right there. 
<laughs> I just as you're in uh, a shootout with Jeremy Seaman. Yep. And then I make the ball and I'm like, <laughs> yes. Did you did yeah. you look back at Josh and say you got the eight? No, no, I did not. I, I, I don't think <laughs> I'd ever do that. Well, sometimes you just gotta you just gotta own it a little bit, right? Yeah. You gotta have some yeah. fun with it. Well, of course you're you're uh go what? ahead. Oh, when I did make the when I did make the winning shot in the shootout against Jeremy, I looked back at Tyler. I gave him a, a little look like, "Yes, I made it." Uh, just, just to kind of, you know. You have you a know. relationship a little bit with Tyler, right? Like you're not you're not like friends, what? but you you guys you guys communicate quite a bit, right? You and Tyler. Uh yeah, I mean we know each other. Yeah, I mean I've messaged him. He's messaged me. We you know we're friendly to each other tournaments and stuff he likes to give me some advice sure yeah i mean if you can get the advice you take it right yeah yeah so uh, i guess what's your takeaway from the event what is uh does this spring you into wanting to play more is this like uh all right i've, I've kind of got there i'm going to take a little bit of a break now and just focus on things so where are you at leaving this tournament uh definitely definitely want to play in more of these i want to i want to play in a lot more pro events I want to uh, continue to gain more experience. I don't want this to, you know, be my one-hit wonder. I want to just, you know, continue to uh, place high in these and and continue to grow, continue to get better. What, what's uh, what's the next event? Pretty darn good, Sam. Thank you. Top five. Me... Actually, you were top five and fifth and sixth tie, right? Kind of, yeah. yeah. Uh, fifth, fifth, fifth or eighth. Top eight. Top we'll eight. Top five. Oh. You to beat the right. You to beat the right. In the top eight, basically in almost every tournament you've got, you haven't you? Uh, I've I've been doing I've doing pretty good this year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I mean the last the last pro tournament though, I got, uh, I believe seventeenth through twenty fourth. Okay. So that was the one in Virginia at the Bob Stocks. And how how many were in that tournament? Uh, somewhere around. That was one twenty eight, I think. Oh, so that's a huge field. You got it was, a, it was a big field, yeah, yeah, yeah. I used Just to be one, satisfied with that in some tournaments where there was, you know, two hundred and fifty players mm-hmm. or more. There was a yeah. couple of tournaments out in Vegas, you know, with fifteen hundred players, and you get to top thirty or top twenty of that, and you know, that's that's enough. Really, you want to win, but yeah, you settle for what you got. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, I guess uh, we we hinted at it a little bit already by uh, talking about Josh and Tyler, but uh, Joshua Filler beats Tyler Steyer in the finals, talking about the men since we have Sam here. So we'll talk about the men first. Uh, Joshua Filler beats Tyler in straight sets. Uh, Did you you end up getting to watch much of Josh, Sam, while he was there? Um, When I was playing my last 16 match, he was was playing right next to me. Uh, He was... He was playing Tyrell Blowers, I believe. Uh, man, that dude shoots shoots too straight. I, Josh, I yeah, Josh. Yeah, it's it's incredible how how dominant he was in this field. It was uh, he wins his first match 2-0, second match 2-0, third match 2-0. I think the uh, only person in the that finals. Lost, uh, he lost one game. I mean, one set. He lost one set to Alex Kazakis. He yeah, dropped yeah, one yeah. set to the previous champion. 
Right. Yeah, I mean, I mean that's he, he's super fun to watch. What was the score between him and Tyler in the finals? Four one, four one. Yeah, four oh, one, four wow. one. Which he, was uh four one four one and he got uh Vitali uh four two four two. Okay. Got uh Kazakis uh four zero and then lost two four and then one four one. Yeah. What do you he's, think about the format, Sam? You know, compared to like a regular race to seven, nine, eleven, whatever. Uh personally, I thought it was a really fun format. It definitely gives gives players like me a better chance, I'd say. It's a short race, two yeah. races. So if even if I get four owed the first set, if I win the second set four three, we're right in a shootout, you know, and I can any player in that field can win a shootout. So okay. I think it definitely it's a it's a great I think I think personally it's a good format. Okay, so it's fun. It is definitely a fun format, except for except for the first time you play that shootout. It's very, very you know. Did you have any shootouts this tournament? What? Did you have any shootouts this tournament in your matches? Yeah, I I went to two shootouts. Okay, and and how'd you do in them? I won both of them. Oh, very good. Against uh, how many? How many did you score? Mika and uh, Jeremy, right? Yeah, against Mika and Jeremy. And what, what were the scores in, the, in that shootout then for you? Um, the one against Mika, I won three to two, and then in the shootout, and then against Jeremy, I won, I believe, five to four or four to three. Okay, so that went a little extra. It went to the harder shot. Then. It, it went to the the one against Jeremy went to the uh, the sudden death. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So the high four. Yeah. Or I guess depending on I guess how many you missed in the. I think it was. One. I think it's four three because we both missed one in the the normal one. Okay. I'm, he missed his first one and then made his next three. I made my first three and missed my last one. Oh. It was three three. <laughs> and then he missed his first sudden death and then I made my first sudden death. Oh boy. How did how did that I guess take me through uh when when you when you're seeing him miss did you shoot first or second in the shootout? Uh so he won the lag and he chose to shoot first. So Okay, so you, so you shot second. So how did yeah. it, how did it uh I guess after he missed that what's going through your head when you're walking up there to shoot the game winner or the match winner at that point for the second time in a row after just missing the game match winner? Uh I was like I well I just saw that Steyer and Phil are watching so I was like, well, here we go. Uh, gonna either either look like a fool, or this is gonna be really cool. And and I just I made it, and I was like, "Thank God!" Stuff, <laughs> yeah, that, stuff. That's got that's got to be heart pounding. At that yeah. When I when I missed that that one to win, I was oh, gosh darn it. It was it was very frustrating. <laughs> Uh, yeah, but you got to get rid of that right away, and I'm sure you do that feeling, you know. Yeah, yeah, in order to stay positive. Yeah, as soon as he, as soon as he missed that next one, right after, right after I missed, and then he missed, I was like, okay, let's not do this again. Let's just get it over. <laughs> how 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 uh, long do you spend shooting that shot, shooting those? I really don't. I really don't ever. I mean, I've I've practiced it a couple times. Really, but I don't shoot that shot a lot. Okay, so for you then, it's it's just like you're playing in a game, and this is the shot you have. Yeah. Yeah. During a rack. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's a pretty good attitude toward that too. You know, like that, that, that separates and singles it out a little bit as it's, this is just the middle of another rack and this is the shot I have to shoot. I like that. Yeah. I, I can see there's a lot of guys out there probably spend hours just shooting these spot shots. Yeah, definitely. <clears throat> oh, I, I mean, last I, I've played in the Michigan one twice and I've played in the Wisconsin one last year. And when you, so generally speaking, they have 10, 12 tables set up and basically all the pros the night before, or all the players who are playing it want to want to practice on it. Well, if you get 64 men, 64 women that want to play on 17 tables, you start loading up two, three, four people at a time. And what, what's kind of the general consensus practice is that you get to throw up the balls for one rack. And then at the end of it, you get to take the 10 ball and shoot it a few times, you know, two, three times. Uh, and that's, that's how you practice before the event is you, you shoot, a, you throw the balls up, you shoot a rack, uh, you, you spot up the 10 ball and you shoot that two times, three times. And then the next person comes in and rotates through. So, I mean, the night before the event, I mean, everybody understands that this is, this is kind of what you're here for at the end of the day. I, I don't know exactly how the percentage of breakdown as far as shootouts, but I would guess 50% of the, uh, let's say the last 32 matches go to a shootout. I'm just making that number up, but that seems right. I, I guess not anymore now that they did the, the the third set. You have to get to a three to three. Yeah, um, that's better. But, the third set. Yeah, sure. yeah, but I, I guess uh, I guess the way that it used to be, where if you just got one one, it was a shootout immediately. I would guess that a, close to fifty percent of those do. I, again, I'm just making up numbers, but the play, the players understand that that's probably a shot you're going to be shooting at. So there's there's value in shooting it in every single one of these racks that you practice. I don't know. I think it's exciting if nothing else. I mean, you can definitely yeah. tell the there's like a when you have two good players or you just have two players that go into a shootout. I mean, you can it's almost like the the, the there's electricity in the room. It's like a, you just hear a buzz and things get a little quieter in some areas. They get a lot a little louder in other areas. And you could just see that everybody just zones in on a shootout. Everybody just huddles around and watches it. I mean, Sam, when you, when you had your shootouts, how many people do you think were giving attention to your match that didn't watch nearly a, a, you know, a single game of it before that shootout? How many, uh, how many do you think was added? I would definitely say that when me and Jeremy were just playing our the normal race to four, uh, there's probably five to 10 people watching. And then once we got to the shootout, once it got kind of, you know, deep and close into the shootout, I'd say 20, 25 people. Yeah. So nearly, nearly, nearly triples two and yeah. a half to two and a half to three times the amount of that's, that's, I mean, that's kind of what I see. There's, it's definitely a great format for watching. I'd say because, yeah. because it just, it really gets the fans into it. Like when, when uh, Nayuki Oi and Jesus Tensio went, to that shootout and they shot and they made like 14, 14 balls. Yeah. Yeah. It was like <laughs> oh, nice. They made and they just kept draining it. And they had the entire room stopped playing their matches to watch. <laughs> I bet they did. It it's was, like the bowlers, you know, when they get close to 300, they get 10 or 11 in a row. Everybody wants to watch that last one. Yeah. Yeah. That's kind of cool. It's, it's an interesting format. It, it's, it's pretty good. Um, It'll be interesting to see what happens. I mean, I, obviously, there's a, there's some feuds going on between Matchroom and Predator uh, when it comes to their formats and just in general. Um, 
I mean, this dynamic over who wins out is, I think it's going to be predicated a lot off of whether or not this type of format is going to catch on. And I, th- I think at the, I, if you're on site, you love it. I mean, it's just such the, it's just such a cool thing to just hover around a table and watch. Um, I will say that the, the setup usually for predator events is if, if there is one thing that predator will need to work on in the future, it is the way that they set up an event. Uh, Cause if, if you go to the U S open, uh, that Matchroom does, you can literally go nearly 270 degrees around a pool table to watch from all different types of angles. And they put them in clusters of tables to where they literally set up their room so that uh, you have access to tables from all different directions. Predator kind of just puts them in a corner and you kind of sit around and watch from there. But I mean, and Sam, you you know this because your match with Vitaly was in the back corner. You can't. Yeah. You can't, you can't see those. You can't see those matches. There's a giant screen in between where the people have to stand and where the tables are uh, that, that has the score of the match. But that score of the match is facing the players, not anybody in back. So, I mean, unless you have your phone out following along with your phone on the score, you can have zero idea what any of those players on the back rows are doing. Yeah. The only you thing I would say that a Predator did better than Matchroom, which it'd probably be harder for Matchroom to do, but... Uh, Predator had a stream on every table. So you could actually watch every table. Yep. And let, in the US Open, Absolutely. they had about 24 tables, but you could only watch two of them for free. And then the other one was, well, the final match, you'd have to buy Dazn or something. Yeah. Sure. No, I I mean, there's a lot of things that Matchroom does better. There's a lot of things that Predator does better. But um, as far as like the the on-site, on-site uh, experience, yes. yeah. Matchroom does it way better. Uh, predator yeah. can do better. I mean, wall, and, and, and the, yeah, wall, and, the, and yeah. the bummer thing about it was like, uh, I think that they they just really organized that room quite poorly with when it comes to what they could have done with it. Uh, you know, you kind of walk through the doors, and there's those four amateur tables that are sitting right up front. I mean, they could have moved those back to the back left corner, got them completely mm-hmm. out of there. It's going to be better for the amateurs because they don't have a bunch of people walking through the doors all the time. And then, and then you basically have, you know, a uh, a 50 by 50 square area where you could end up adding um, seating for, you know, the pro event. Uh, you could, it, it's just, it was just organized poorly. I think when it comes to, you just can't watch any of those back tables and follow along with it efficiently. Yeah. Personally, I think for that room, they should have where they had that back wall of pool tables, they should have brought those tables, all 13 of them uh, over to the left and put the tournament desk on that wall and then put seating Sure. Put seating by those tables so that way people yeah. can actually watch. And there was doors over there, so you didn't have to walk through the through the tables. You could have just walked around the room and then through those doors, and you're right there in those seating. I think that personally that's how they should have done it, but I don't know. Well, the people who run the tournaments, the directors, they need to talk to the players. Uh, maybe a little more communication in that regard. I know when I ran some well, tournaments in the state of Wisconsin. Yeah. I don't think the players I, – yeah. I mean, in the grand scheme of things, I think the players would rather play in the corners by themselves without any any hassle or any, uh, you know, riffraff from the, the spectators. Well, it's, possibly for that reason, yes. But, I mean, for the reason uh, Sam was talking about, you know, the the flow of the uh, galleries sure. and, and the availability to watch. And, you know, if, if, you, want, if, if you want to know how to do that, the players know, and I think they just need some more communication with the players. Yeah. All the way around, say for directors do for spectating, they need to they need to fix their setup. But for players, 
the players probably enjoy playing on those back tables. Probably. I, yeah, um, yeah. Yeah, sure. I played Kang Lee. Less distractions. Back there, like there was, there's zero, there was, there was nobody back there, and mm-hmm. it was just, just me and Kang just playing. Nobody watching except for the people on the stream. I got no clues on the stream though, you know. Sure, sure. Yep. I, I just think that if you, you brought, if you, uh, well, uh, I just think that if you're if you're going to if you're going to base one of these pro events around having the amateurs there and like building those integrating those those two things together with you know, getting the pros in front of the amateur players, you got to give them a chance to be able to watch whoever they want to watch. I mean, even if you only moved over the tables, every single one of those, say that cluster of tables over, let's say seven feet, you could then put a a row of tables behind uh, those back tables and allow the players, you know, allow the fans to walk around the back side of it and sit at tables, just like you did on the front. And that really doesn't disturb the, the entire area all that much, right? It's like seven feet. It's not that much difference. You just got you. If you're gonna build a, if you're gonna build it around amateur players so that you can get them the pros in front of the amateur players, then then give them the opportunity to watch it. But that's, I mean, at the end of the day, like that's that's my criticism of the event, and that's 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 about it. Everything else was great, and yeah, I mean, Matt Matt is right. The the field was quite a bit strong, uh, weaker than you would expect it to be. Uh, with that being said, there was still a lot of top players there, but you know, it, it, there's a lot of the Europeans, especially like. You know, all of the Polish players, the Dennis Grabas, the, you know, Mario He type of players, and then a lot of the Asian players that weren't there, at least on the men's side, that weren't there just because of, you know, the travel schedule with, um, you know, when you're trying to get visas and you have to get a visa to get into the U.S. and you have to get a visa to get into the U.K., getting a, a visa there, back, and then home, it's it's not it's not probably easy. So it, it kind of makes sense. It's, it's a scheduling thing that when you have these two giant promoters that are doing these big events, they're going to be stepping on each other's toes. And as of right now, the players are skipping the Predator events. They're going to the matchroom events. We'll see if that flips in the future. But for right now, at least as far as the getting the players in every single event, the matchroom is winning out. We'll see if it continues. But uh, I, I guess, Rob, what, what, was you, what were you going to ask? Yeah, I got it's a pool playing question uh, and an aiming type of a question for Sam. Uh, there's, there's different aiming techniques out there. I want to know what you use. For the spot shot, do you uh, set the cue ball where you have a perfect half a ball hit, and that's what you look at, and that's what you aim for, or do you aim for a, a specific spot on the object ball and don't care about half a ball, quarter ball, three quarters, or any of that stuff? Or do you uh, try to uh, spin the ball in a little bit on that spot shot? Uh, you know, a little bit with some running, maybe try to, you know, hit it a little more toward the short rail and let it let the English take it in. How, how do you approach that yourself or your aiming technique? So I really don't have one, but okay. um, I just, I set the, I know, I noticed a lot of players, they like to set the cue ball pretty close to the rail. They set their hand on the rail. I don't, I don't like doing that with the spot shot. I pull it about half a diamond to three quarters of a diamond away from the rail. So that way my hand is laying on the table. Yeah. And that's and, more of a 45 degree angle there then. Yeah. And I just, Hit it with a uh, dead middle, and the okay, no, it's no juice on the cue ball whatsoever. Nothing. Lag speed, dead middle. Uh, with okay, the slide. so a little softer then. Uh, yeah, just, just simple lag speed. Okay. Uh, the the slide from the table is going to cause it to not scratch in the side. So because uh, it just goes straight into the rail. Okay. And so I know that doing that, there's no chance of scratching. So I just 
go around, look at the potting angle. I don't really aim for a specific spot. I just aim at the, the potting angle. I mean, I'm not. Okay. Sure. So you're, you're actually visually above your, above your eyes looking just at that angle versus a projected spot on the ball. Yeah. I'm just looking okay. at the, the angle that I believe that that ball is going to go into the pocket. Okay. Okay. So your, your cue angle really is what you're talking about in comparison to the angle needed to pot the ball. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. That's a, that's a little different explanation than I would he expect to hear from uh, uh, a lot of players, you know, mm -hmm. who shoot. That's how I shoot them too. Oh, it is. Yeah. Okay. I, I think that, I think, I mean, there's a fine line between, and this kind of comes down to people individually, but there's a fine line between, uh, you know, paralysis by analysis and just doing what you've done a million times. Like I, I do know a lot of players that, um, you know, they'll get in there early on and they'll, they'll try to find a spot in the background and they'll set their cue ball in the same spot. And then they just shoot at the object in the background. Oh, I see. Uh, sure. So they, they, ignore the the ten, yeah. they ignore that the 10 ball is even there and then they just shoot it. You know, if there's a mm -hmm. light switch on the wall and you put, you know, that you put your cue ball right here and you shoot your, your, your cue ball right at that light switch, right. the 10 ball being in the way is you know, just you're it's just an obstacle on the way to the light switch. And you know that yep. if you hit that light switch, you're gonna make the shot. I know a lot of people that do stuff like that, but then it just doesn't because quite work out. Where, yeah. Well, it just doesn't quite work out eventually when it comes to like moving it back. Like if you make all four of yours doing that, that's great. But now you got to move the cue ball back and you know, maybe you can still get on that same line, but you're you're gonna have a little bit more awkward cueing. And I think that's the biggest uh hurdle with the further back. It's not that the shot is eight inches farther because I mean, you're already shooting a shot that's eight foot away or, you know, seven foot away. What's, what's right. seven foot, seven inches more? I mean, it's seven right. foot, seven inches. I mean, what what is that? It doesn't really mean anything. The reason it's tougher when you move it back and Sam, you can agree or disagree with this or, you know, correct me on this. It, it has nothing to do necessarily, I don't think, with uh, the extra seven or eight inches. It's it's all about the awkward cueing because now you have to you have to cue like this little halfway with the off of the rail. You're being almost forced to go on the rail or shortening up your happened. bridge to be. Yeah three or four inches. I mean, it's, you're really not having much of a bridge. So can that aiming technique still work? Yes. But now you're, now you kind of have the awkward queuing of, you know, being further back. And yeah. at, at that point in time, I mean, you have so I'm many sure things going into that working out that, yeah. I mean, make it a little, tougher, I, make it a little awkward, but do you, do you agree funny. with that Sam with the moving it back? It, it's less about the further distance and more about just the, uh, the more awkward queuing. Um, Yes, I would say so. Um, I don't think it makes much of a difference. I know that um, when you pull it back that far, you can't really set your hand on the table anymore. You have to use the rail. Yeah, you have to use the rail, and that definitely makes it a little bit more awkward. I would say. Uh, so it overall is definitely a tougher shot. Yeah, mm -hmm. and of course you're getting closer to that corner pocket, so you know you kind of take away that side that side bridge off of the rail. That uh, that you were talking about that you don't use anyways you 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 bridge off of the table um, when you're when you're that far back I mean it's you're actually kind of taking away that rail bridge you're almost forcing people to bridge off of the bottom rail as opposed to the side rail yeah so, how do you feel know. about the uh, uh, the getting used to these uh, slide on the new cloth and stuff uh, when you first start out how long does it take you to adjust you think um. It took me, it took me about two matches. Once I got done okay. with, with Jeremy, uh, I finally when when I got done playing Jeremy, and the next day I was playing Kang. I really 
really had my cue ball good. Okay. Uh, it just that for, it really took me until the second day actually. Just the first day was getting used to the tables, and then the second day, you know, I was I was a lot better. How, how much did the tables change just in that one day? Much um, not a lot. I would say there's more of a change. There's more of a change in the the third day, from the second to the third day. It, okay. it took a little bit more to to draw the ball. It took took a little bit more spin. It just it didn't slide quite as much. And what what do you adjust on your stroke or your distance in your bridge or anything for that? Uh, I I stroke it a little bit more than than I was longer earlier. or a little more. A little just, just a little. You know, just a little bit, just putting maybe queuing down a little bit more instead mm -hmm. of where in the first or second day you didn't have to queue as low because it just automatically just shot straight back. Okay. Now, when you, when you, when you're going low on the cue ball, you're not, you're not elevating the back of the stick. You're just going lower with the cue stick, correct? Yeah. Unless I'm on the rail. Yeah. Right. Of course. Yeah. Okay. Because that's good to know for, you know, if the majority of people watching the podcast are between 450 and 600, uh, and that's probably where they lie someplace in there, that's very important for them in their regular game of pool uh, to maybe to maybe be aware of that, that the lowering of the stick and changing the tip uh, position on the cue ball versus the angle yeah. uh, of, of the cue stick. Because there, there's a difference there. And uh, to know that in advance, of course, is an important thing in pool if you want to get better. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you had it. So you had a good time. Yeah, it was a great time. It was definitely. How much money did you win? Um, I believe fifth or eighth paid three thousand two hundred eighty-one dollars. Ooh. And what was your entry for? You get that paid for by your sponsors? Uh, not not this tournament. No. No, uh, you didn't. Uh, okay. I believe it was a. $350 entry. Oh, 10 times what's your entry they got back. Yeah. Yep. Pretty nice for uh, somebody in high school. Yeah. Yeah. It, was a, it wasn't a bad payday. Definitely. Yeah. It was a definitely a good tournament. Uh, I would say that I definitely want to want to go to more of these predator events. I want to sure. during the, and now, and now how's your school coming with that? I mean, you, you're not in school then when you're at these events. Well, or, yeah, I'm, I'm online. You do so, do some schoolwork then while you're at the events. Sometimes, yeah. Yep. I mean, like if I have like a whole day off, then yeah, I'll do I'll do some assignments. But mainly, I'm on the okay. practice table. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So I I guess uh, we can address uh, New Jersey pool players' uh, question. What did you think of the tables? Um, I I got to practice on the the seven footers and the nine footers personally. I thought the nine footers were a lot better than the seven footers. I thought that the seven footers were weird. Like the the cloth was a little slow, but the rails were super springy. Ah, uh, the rail. Yeah, I think the rails. I think the rails were the same between the nines and the sevens. But with how small the seven footers are, those springy rails, it seems normal on a nine footer because there's just so much more room. But on right, the seven yeah. footer, it just seems like the, that extra springiness. It just seems like it. I mean, it has the appearance. And this was kind of like the the. A lot of people's criticism, including mine, of like the red label diamonds versus the blue label diamonds. 
is that mm. that little imperfection with the rail where they're just a little bit lower. It just seems like the ball picks up speed coming off of the cushion on a red label <laughs> where a blue mm. label plays more natural. Yeah. And I, I look at those tables a lot like that. I mean, they just fly off the rails. It looks like every rail you hit, it picks up speed. And that, obviously that's that's not possible. But the idea of it is they come off so slower on the diamonds and the even the valley tables uh, that most people play on either, whether it's diamonds or valleys. They, they come off at such a slower pace that you're kind of in it. And it's pretty close to the same speed, give or take, between the valleys and the, the diamonds that you just kind of get accustomed to seeing it come off at that pace. And anything that's mm -hmm. faster than that appears like it's way faster than what it should be. And on the seven footers, that's kind of the, that's kind of the case. Uh, but the nine footers, it's, it just seems to be more natural that it comes off that way. And I actually like the nine footers in that sense, because it, it takes less stroke to get the cue ball where you need it to be when you have the, yeah, the rails. As nice. as they are. Yeah. You know, when you force your stroke when you have to force your stroke or have to lay off of it because of the springiness, and the cue ball control you want anytime you're that's out of your normal range <laughs> you get to the least or the most it's going to be tougher to play to the level that you want to play for sure and i think yeah. the amateurs out there you know you got to get got to get a grip on that uh, and that really makes pool tough when you got slow cloth and springy rails that's we play in a place that's got seven foot valleys with simonis 860 simonis on it and springy rails yeah oh yeah I mean, I it's, well. it's crazy. Well, I'll tell you, one tournament recently, there was three or four or 680s there playing. Okay, regional, little local thing. And none of them won their matches under those conditions because they just couldn't, they couldn't handle it. Yeah. Uh, yeah, there was even a 720 there that just raced a six in nine ball. I think he won two games and he was out of the tournament because it just blew his mind that the speed of that oh. you, you don't expect that on a valley <laughs> yeah. Tough, yeah, yeah i mean oh. even with regular rails but these were the springy rails <laughs> but I, I, yeah so sam i guess uh, any any uh, additional comments on the tables um i do think going back to the us open and stuff with they when they had the diamonds and things um i think that the diamonds play i think the diamonds still play better than the predator tables uh, I, I think that I played better on the, the predator tables than I did the diamonds. I just think the diamonds are a little bit more, uh, like the better, better ratio. The, the cloth is, the cloth is, goes with the rails. I think speaking with seven footers, I'd say seven foot diamonds are way better than the predator seven footers. Okay. Um, but the nine foots are pretty close. They're not, they're not too far from each other. I agree with that. I, I just bought it. Uh, I just bought a predator nine footer. So I just got it in my house last night. Brand new. Set up. Brand and new. Yep. Set up. Well, no, because I, I thought I was going to have room for a nine footer and a seven footer. And I came up a foot and a half short. And I was just hoping that I would have room for them, but I don't. So I have a, I have a seven footer seven foot valley and now a nine foot predator but i push the predator off into the corner for now because as lonnie fox is in here uh i've been practicing lonnie i have been i've been practicing lonnie and i are playing the uh the vnea masters together in three days so we're going to be she's actually You're on her way the together she's not on the, in the masters 
Yep, yep, scotch together. So the reason oh, she's okay. not on the show today is because she's actually driving out to Vegas right now. Sounds like absolute torture to me, especially since what she's resort is it at this year? VNEA. It's at Westgate. It's at Westgate. Okay, so, Westgate. All right. Um, I am flying out on Wednesday. Lonnie's driving out right now, but um I've been practicing and my nine footer is not being touched until at the end of VNEA <laughs> because the table that I have outside of that is a seven foot valley. So um yeah, uh, but I guess I, I wouldn't mind giving my opinion. Uh, so the, the the New Jersey pool player about the, the tables, we'll talk about the seven-footers first. Um, I kind of talked a little bit about the uh, the rails, right? So they're a little bit springier. They're way, 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 way springier. So uh, I know that I played on – I played the the team event at BCA, the amateur team event, with uh, some, of my, some of my friends that I play with regularly. And uh, they were having issues shooting balls down the rail. Uh especially on like sharper angles. Like if the ball's just a little bit off, let's say the third diamond on a diamond with speed, you know, proper speed, uh, you can basically hit a pretty easily at about the first diamond and it's still going to fall in uh, on a Valley. You can hit pretty close to the second diamond and it's still going to fall in on a predator. You have to hit significantly sooner in, especially if you're going to hit it at speed, but let's just talk about a constant speed because those rails are a little bit springier. They push out a little bit harder. Uh -huh, so sure. once it goes into the rail, it doesn't come off as gently as it would on a valley and a, and a diamond table. It comes off a little bit hotter. So because of that, it's going to get into the facing of the side uh, of the corner pocket, the outside of the pocket as you're shooting down the rail. It's going to get into that a little bit deeper. And if when, you know you get a little bit deeper into that at that angle, with the way that those pockets are cut and the way that the diamond uh, tables are cut too, it spits it out. Well, on a valley, the way they're cut, they kind of accept all of those shots. Uh, but on a diamond and a predator, they'll spit that ball out if it comes in a little bit sharper. Well, if it's springing off the rail a little bit harder than a diamond would, it's going to get deeper into that facing. So my teammates were, you know, they were they were really struggling going down the rails, um, especially at speed because of that reason. So sure. is, it a, is it a worse table because of that? I, I don't know. I mean, if you've ever played English eight ball with the rounded pockets. Worse, I, I it, wouldn't put that on it. Yeah, I mean, it, they definitely play tougher in that sense. But if you've ever played English eight ball, where you have like the rounded corners, where it's like a circle, oh yeah, you can't hit the rail going in at all. And I no. struggle with that every single time I play English eight ball because if you touch fact, the rail, you have you know, to hit. You have to hit the backside of the rail in the pocket. You have to shoot to the outside of the pocket, you or you have to shoot table. to the heart of the pocket or to the facing of the pocket. Right. And that's the thing I struggle with the most when I switch to English eight ball for you know the three, three times every five years that I go with the Moscone Cup, is. You, you got to get it to that facing, and it's really, really, really difficult to do. It's uh, As nine ball players, you're, you're really conditioned to, to catch that rail going into the pocket. You're, you're trying to hit the rail about two to three inches up, up from the inside of the pocket. I mean, you're, you're conditioned to do that. I mean, everybody does that. I mean, from, from when you can basically learn how to hold a pool cue, you know that you want to catch the, pocket or the rail going into the pocket. That's, that's the easiest way to make the ball. Where mm -hmm. on, a, on a predator table, you can still do that, but you have to do it significantly closer to the pocket. So if you miss it by a little bit, it just gets tougher. So I, I guess New Jersey pool player, I, I'm hoping that that kind of answered your, uh, your question about the tables. Um, as far as the, as far as the tables go, I think, I think the nine footer plays just about as good as the diamond, probably just as good. But I, I mean, it, if I can say this about uh, the predator cloth, it's just not, it's just not on the level of Simonis. Yeah. I know, I know Tyler made a post a while ago and got a lot of slack about um you know, the, the po pre and post flood, um, Simonis, but, uh, the Arcadia cloth, it's, it's just grittier. It's a lot grittier. And when it's grittier, it's going to, it's going to catch the cue ball, especially if you're using inside or outside spin, 
it catches that deflection so much quicker, but because it's grittier, it catches quicker, but because it's grittier, it doesn't come back as much. So it holds yeah. it it holds the ball on the line that it is. So if you're let's say you're gonna, you know, uh, the ball's on the third diamond, you shoot that ball with high outside spin to to throw the ball towards the pocket, right? Well, if you're shooting that with high outside spin, uh the the throw ends you end up uh you end up getting further out, but it ends up staying out there. So you end up overcutting the balls significantly more than what you would normally do on Simona's cloth. It's just a different type of cloth. And if you if you play the game the same way, you're it's just gonna be just going to be tough at it. I think most of the cloths play on the Simona side of things as opposed to the Arcadia side of things. So it's just easier to transition from Simona's to Arcadia. With that being said, I mean, if, if we always played on Arcadia and then Simona's introduced this, we would all say that Simona's is bad. It's just, it's, it's just what you're used to at the end of the day. And I mean, that's, that's, I guess that's from my five or six or seven events that I've played on this cloth in these tables. That's, that's kind of my takeaway from what they are. So I don't know. I also feel like the, the Arcadia loses its slide faster too. Like, okay. I agree. So it basically dries out, firms up faster. Yeah. 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 But I, I think most of them do. I think, I think that's the thing with Simona's is it, it, it holds a little bit longer. Like the, the shelf life, the initial shock value shelf life, we'll say of um, Simona's lasts the longest. But I and I don't know anything about this as far as like the um, how these things work. But it seems like Simona's holds up the longest, but then dies the fastest. Like it, it, the quality of it after eight, eight, nine, ten months is worse than let's say an Andy cloth. Oh, for example, I I, I don't. I mean, again, oh, I'm definitely just worse than a Royal Pro, which goes on a lot of carom tables. Yeah, that stuff lasts forever, right? That's yeah, just lasts forever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. sheds oh. the dirt. I really I mean, think it depends on how you take care of your tables, though, because our local pool hall here, they're, they had diamonds with the tournament Blue Simonis 860, mm -hmm. and those tables played good for about the first week, and then they they uh, they played terrible because they had a lot of people in there, but the the people didn't take care of the tables. That place is now shut down. Uh, they're not a pool hall anymore. But um, I got this pool hall in Peoria. This, uh, I don't know, he he got new cloth on the tables like like five months ago. But they still play close to new because he takes very good care of them. And it's just, it's way better if you take care of them. Oh, yeah. 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 Your cloth if you own a pool table or a pool hall, for sure. I, I got a... a uh, Something about uh, Tyler and Margaret here, that in Wisconsin they are they are the in-house pros at a pool hall in Oshkosh, Wisconsin called the Varsity Club. And uh, for the viewers out there that want lessons from uh, these two professionals, uh, they have keys to the Varsity Club, and so you don't have to abide by the hours that the club is open. They will do private lessons for you or groups uh, on off hours. Uh, when they're, of course, in town. Uh, so, and and I give a shout out to Jeremy West, who uh, just recently uh, sold the Varsity Club for all the help he he gave me in purchasing the Gabriel table that he had in there that they, we took it out. I have it in my basement now. And they're putting in a uh, streaming uh, booth there. And they're going to uh, do kind of what uh, Matt Apple 
did in Appleton. So that's a that's a good sh a little shout out. And and then a, I want to say something about if you're looking for a table mechanic, and you're in the Midwest, you're Wisconsin, Illinois, uh, Minnesota for sure. <clears throat> I want to recommend uh, a fellow from Rochester, Minnesota, named uh, Don Hayes, and uh, he has a fella in uh, Wisconsin that meets him anywhere and helps him with setup and teardown for tables. Uh, named Dave Geiger. I want to shout out to these fellas for doing the work they did on transporting and setting uh, my 10-foot Gabriel up. Uh, the slates on the Gabriel are two and a half inch uh, 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 solid uh, uh, granite. Uh, they weigh around 700 wow. pounds a piece. Yeah, about 700 pounds a piece. And they took them downstairs. And uh, it, it was something. There was There was four of us. And it was everything possible that four people could do. I, I would recommend if you ever have a carom table, uh, a Gabriel with the granite slate, that you uh, don't set it up in your basement or upstairs anywhere <laughs> where you have to go up or downstairs. And have, have a like a forklift, a mini forklift of some type to help you out and set these things. Because picking up one slate, four people, it was a struggle. Wasn't that your nickname back in uh, back in high school, Mini Forklift? Rob, <laughs> did you just pick it up and throw it over your head? Just <laughs> yeah, yeah. One of the fellas helping us was a six foot three, two hundred and forty pound guy who works out every day at the gym, and he struggled. Heavy. Yeah, these things, those those slates for those carom tables are brutally, brutally heavy. Well, uh, I don't. You want to, uh, Sam? You want to answer uh, Lil Chris's question? I don't know if. Uh, what does Sam think he needs to do to take his game to the next level? Next without level. Just saying practice more. Be specific. Well, I think. Um, I mean, I'm not sure. That's a pretty tough question. I'd say. In other words, too, I could say it this way. What do you think your weaknesses are, right now? If you have, how do you improve on them? Yes. Well, I do think it includes practice. Um, I would say that, you know, I need to, I need to do more drills. I'd say. Uh, when you make mistakes in a match, what are they routinely? Do they do they fit into a category? Uh, position play, I'd say. Okay, so cue ball control. Then. Yeah, cue ball control. Uh, I think I think a big one would definitely be. Uh, to take my game to the next level would be uh, playing in more pro events, getting more experience, get the get the nerves out, you know, get gotcha. more seasoned. Quit seasoned. yelling at Nate for uh, watching you play. That would help too. Season. You get more of that positive energy in your corner. Yeah, yeah. We're talking about that right hey, now. Hey, I may be in high school. <laughs> watch me here, you know, take a look at how I'm performing. A little more gutsy kind of a thing yeah yeah okay well uh we i guess we would be remiss if we didn't talk about the ladies we got to talk about the ladies side of things too obviously because they had a just an absolute phenomenal finish as well uh yeah you got it nate i got your back dog uh allison fisher comes up a little bit short against uh chia yu chow 
uh, in the finals, two to one. Uh, what a great match that one was, turned out to be. Uh, Christina to catch and Christina's Lateva. It's not good to be a Christina if you're in the semifinals, apparently. <laughs> uh, Juan Ling Wang, Margaret Fafalova, Wei Su Chen, and Sia Sao were uh, in the quarterfinals. And I, I do want to give a shout out. I guess I won't go back to all of the last 16, but uh, uh, Kaylee McIntosh and Priscilla uh, Kinsley. Congratulations on two women making the final 16. It's always nice to see that. And then Caroline Powell, got to give you a shout out. One out of the final 16, but the newest onboard player. So we want to give her a shout out because she's an onboard player, just like Sam and I. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, I, did, uh, do you have any idea on the um, why they started the women later than the men? Sam? Uh I I don't know honestly. Because there's, there's no not... event coming up this week that like travel. I know I know the Michigan. Uh, they're doing that with the Michigan Open. They're they're starting the men sooner, but that is because the U.S. Open is like I believe the men would have started on or finished on Saturday, and then the U.S. Open started on Monday. So I know that they they moved that up. So the men are now finishing on Friday as well. Uh, and the the women is finishing on Saturday. I don't I don't know if maybe they're doing this with all of their events now to like stagger them. I, I guess I'm not really sure. You don't know either. I, if I had to take a guess, it would be to because the men's final day was was Saturday and the women's final day was Sunday. Uh, if I had to take a guess, it would be that they wanted the 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 stream table to be focused Mostly, on yeah. the men's semifinals, semifinals sure. and the men's finals, and then. The next day, the women's semifinals and the the women's finals. That makes sense. It could be, yeah. I know. I know that the because of against each other for stream time. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. well, I know because of that. I mean, there was a lot of. I mean, and maybe they maybe they did this on purpose as far as that goes too, because I know that there was a lot of dead tables. Um, I say dead tables is like there was a lot of tables that people were not playing on. Uh, yeah. while matches were going on, and maybe they wanted to designate those as practice tables. So, I mean, if there that is one thing about Predator that they, they I, I think they also need to get right is they need to have the ability to practice. Um, Matchroom is getting better about this, they were very, very bad at it, too. I think, in fact, the world championships like three years ago, they had 128 players and they only had like two practice tables or something like that, and they kind of got knocked for it. Now they have like a minimum of six, I believe. So, um I mean, you just got to, I mean, if you're going to have a professional event with professional players, I mean, you, you got to have, you got to give them a chance to warm up and practice for their matches outside of, you know, 30 minutes before. Uh, I mean, you see the golfers, I mean, when golfers aren't out there, you know, doing their 18 holes, they're on the practice, they're on the practice screens, they're on the driving range, they're, they're yeah. constantly warming up. I mean, you're, you're talking that some of them are out there three, four, five hours before the round even starts. And there's still there another two or three or four hours after the round ends. I mean, that's like saying, all right, well, you're like telling a golfer that they, they can only. Yeah, the thing about, uh, you know, those other kind of sports, a, a, a lot of sports compared to uh, pool and tournaments is there's a lot of players right up until the end. And golf, if you've got 60 players that start the event, the last day and the last minute, you got 60 players. Uh, where in pool, if you start with 60 players, the last day you might only have 10. And now all the preparation, all the work put into running the tournament and having all the tables there is kind of is kind of moot. <laughs> you know, what are you gonna do with 
with all these tables and no people to play on, <laughs> kind of. And then people go home, you know, where in other sports, they stay till the end. Yeah. And Lonnie's yeah. right there. Uh, yeah. And in Michigan, I remember that uh, all of the players basically, uh, if you wanted to practice, you had to wait until 11 o'clock at night. <laughs> and then everyone. What? Huh? Oh, sorry. You can go ahead. And, was, and then everybody, and then everybody wanted to practice then. So, yeah. The one thing that I liked about the practicing at the Predator event was even if all the nine foots were taking, taken, you, all you had to do was go upstairs. There's, there's 20 tables open. There's seven footers, but it's still a way to stay in stroke. Sure. They have that They have that amateur event going along with it. You can just go up there and just hit balls. Just stay, stay warm. Sure. Stay loose. Yeah. Keep that, keep that arm loose. That yeah, I guess on, on, so on the ladies side of things, uh, I mean, I, I personally, I mean, she's a friend, I would say. So Christina Zlateva, I was really impressed with how she played in this event. She beat a lot of really, really, really great players and she beat them pretty resoundingly. So, I mean, th that was one of my big takeaways watching her play. Uh, was there any standouts for you, Sam? Um, not really for the women's side. I didn't, I didn't really watch much of it. I know that uh Savannah Easton was playing really well. I know that she got one out of the one out of the final sixteen, I'm pretty sure. Okay. I think she lost to uh, Kaylee McIntosh to get into the yep. last sixteen. Yep. Uh but there was there was one more player I can't remember. Mar Margaret was playing really good too. I was she, she got fifth sixth? Or fifth Margaret got the, yeah, Margaret got fifth through eighth. Fifth through eighth. Okay. So she ended up uh, relatively, well, just where you ended up, kind of in your group. How yeah. many women compared to men were there? Less? I think it was the same. It same. was nearly the same. Okay. I think actually, I think the men had about four more because I think there was four buys in the women's. Yeah. Because okay. Christina Zlateva had a, um, yeah, Christina like Zlateva had a block, had a buy. Um, and then she didn't drop a set. She beat Kaylee McIntosh, who's a you know great great player, uh, two zero straight sets. Um, then she beat uh, uh, yeah Kaylee McIntosh in straight sets, and then she beat uh, Priscilla Kinsley in straight sets, and then she beat uh, Wei Su Chen in straight sets, and then lost to uh, the eventual champion in straight sets. But beating Wei Su Chen, who's a seven sixty ish Fargo, something Ooh. like that. In straight sets, that's a that's a great event. It is. That's a that's a great event. Uh, she's been playing. I think she's been playing pretty much full time now. She's been traveling quite a bit. I think she's actually been in the states for quite a while. But uh, I don't know. I guess that's my highlight. It's always great to see Allison Fisher back up there. Um, yeah, she's like, been in the finals of a lot of women's events lately. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, she, yeah, she's been crushing it. She has been absolutely crushing it. They used a shot I just saw on Facebook today, this morning. They, they're explaining how to measure up a two-rail kick shot. And uh, they used an example of her and one of the shots she had in the tournament <laughs> up there. To It was uh, she had a two-rail kick cut shot, uh, which was, you know, I mean, the ball was way off the rail. It wasn't just right next to the rail. And it showed how she measured for that and hit it. Yeah. Kind of like a ticky Three cushion. So I, I guess one other thing uh, that I wanted to chat about before um, 
I guess before I guess I am closing out for the week. I know we 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 had a large discussion last week on Eklund Kachi not calling a foul on himself, and I think we'd be remiss to say that we we saw another one of those situations this week where uh, um, in Cristina Slateva's match actually. Uh, uh, let's see. I guess I probably can't pull it. Uh, maybe I can pull it up. Chia uh, Yu Chow played a Massé shot uh, around the nine ball and ended up clipping the nine ball, trying to get to the eight ball and didn't call a foul on herself. And John Lehman didn't see the foul either. Apparently. Oh, really? Not so that was kind of a weird situation. I will pull up the video here in just a second, but I, I think, I mean, what what do you do in a situation like that? I mean, that is that's. I mean, I guess I guess. Did the opponent call it? Then the opponent didn't call it either. It was very obvious too. Really, that's unusual. It was a slight. Yeah, it was a bit of a slight tickle. I mean, I don't I don't know that it was super obvious, but it was. I would. I mean, if I think I think the ref should have noticed it. It was it was pretty obvious. I mean, I've seen I've seen calls that were made that the ball barely moves in there able to make the call. I mean, I know, I know everybody makes a mistake here and there, but that one was, that one was, you know, kind of there. And the player, the player should have called it on herself. She, I'm pretty sure she saw it. I don't, if, if you're a player and you foul personally, I think you should be honest and give the ball to them. I mean, it's rarely as a player that you don't see the foul yourself. Yes. Happens. That's pretty rare. Uh, for you know, for for you to go, well, I don't think I fouled. Well, what's the think? There's no yeah. think involved in it. It's either a foul or not. Mm -hmm. Either a bad hit or not. Uh, or so here, I'll, I'll, I'll uh, hopefully this shows up all right. So here's the shot. Maybe we can. Yeah, here we go. So we have uh, this is the setup. She's trying to bend the cue ball around this nine ball. And uh, only one of the commentators actually sees it. Uh, I, I think uh, Tim DeRuiter doesn't actually see it, who's also in the uh, the com box. There's the shot. I mean, you can see the nine ball tickle. And it doesn't end up mattering, of course. Uh, Christina ends up running out. but Yeah, I'm glad she still ran out. Is that, uh, yeah, I geez. mean, this would be a much, much, much bigger contract. Yeah, had she made the shot. Yeah, definitely. It moves. It moves. That more than eighth of an inch, at least. Yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely, it definitely tickles. I mean, what's our thoughts on this? Is is this the same level of vitriol we should have towards this, this uh, this player as we had towards Kachi? What what do we think? I think absolutely. Yeah, you yeah, got to hold people so. accountable. I mean, you know, for for what they do. I know Kachi definitely. What he did, he definitely felt him touch that ball. I mean, he moved as soon as he touched it. Uh, this one, I mean, I can't say. You know for that she sure. saw the nine ball too, right? You know she saw that. <laughs> There's no yeah, way. Yeah, I know. How could she? I mean, she had the to four inches away, right? If, the ball, the eight ball's four inches away. She didn't. She's probably not telling the truth. I mean, I had to. You can't. You can't really say. You can't really say um, that she did if she says she didn't, because you know, she right. just argue it, and it'll be an endless argument. Yeah. And they didn't call it a foul. They didn't call it a foul. You know. He said. She said. Yeah, go. I mean, if it's it's kind of a weird situation, I guess. Uh, it's really odd that nobody saw it there, though. Yeah, I mean, the ref, 
The I mean, ref even pointed out right away that the ref? that nine ball moved, and then nobody nobody said anything about it. What was he the ref looking at? I mean, I don't know. Shot, you'd think his eyes would be really focused. On it, it was, yeah. I mean, but nobody's perfect, are we? Yeah, yeah, I mean, you can miss calls from time to time. I mean, it's not like it moved a ton, but I mean, it definitely I mean, moved. I mean, you can also tell when the the cue ball goes off of its its path too. Yeah, because I mean, the cue ball had to deflect a little to the right. That's yeah. why she missed the shot, probably. You know, so so there's that. I know in in three question room we look really close. You can actually make contact with a ball, and it just goes like this. It just oscillates. And if you're watching the reflection of the lights on the ball, the lights will move. Yeah, That's the yeah. only reason you know you hit that ball. Because it it has it. If you tried to measure where it went on the table, it didn't go anywhere. You just ticked it so it just oscillated and went back. Mm -hmm. uh, this didn't happen on this particular shot. No, that nine ball moved over. And of course, I mean, part of the reason why I guess we had a, a larger discussion last week, or at least that I I wanted to, was because Kachi uh, Kachi's done that in the past. I mean, I, I I said the situation where it happened in the past. I don't think that this player has had that. I mean, I don't, I can't think of anything where this has happened in the past for her. So there's no um, history there of it. So an honest yeah. mistake, we say. If... I don't know. Give her the benefit of the doubt. Honest mistake. It's hard to know, right? It's I'd hard to know. That, and that's it's a the, little different because because with Kachi, he actually ended up winning the rack from it. Ah, uh, uh, yeah. With this this situation, she you know she still lost the rack. Right. I think in that situation, she's supposed to since she fouled. Uh, Kachi should have lost the rack too, considering he fouled. Yeah. But Carmen didn't work in that case. And then he. I was. I'm not sure. Was that the finals that he did that in? Yeah, that was the finals. And then he, he ended, ended up losing the finals, anyways. But like 13 and, to but, five. Yeah. Yeah. So so Kachi. So maybe maybe Karma did get him in a sense that, but he was already oh, down. That was the Masters and the World Masters. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So um, yeah. I mean, I don't know. Uh, I think that this. I think that she is a is she's a more likable player maybe across the board than Kachi, although. I mean, Kachi is a, a phenomenal player, and I don't think uh, you'll find anybody that doesn't respect his game. It's more or less his attitude or his his uh, his nonchalantness or obviously just kind of his, his – his, I don't want to say his antics, but his antics off the table, we'll say, of, you know, not not waking up for a match and then blaming Emily Frazier for not waking him up and, you know, stuff like this. I mean, it's just some silly stuff that uh, – yeah, that happened at the, the Premier League pool a couple of years ago. He overslept through his match and ended up forfeiting. I, I, I believe it was against Shane, if I'm not mistaken, too, where he he just didn't show up to his match on time and because he didn't he either, he either didn't set an alarm or he slept through it or something like that. And his he response did that was, well, too, I'm pretty sure. Did he? Yeah, maybe he, did. he did. He showed up like six minutes late and had to forfeit a game. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah, and then yeah, and that's happened there too. And then uh, you know, it's just. His response to Emily Frazier, he, she said this on the podcast, was, "Well, why didn't you come wake me up? You know, you know which room is mine." <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, it, the end oh, of the day, really? I mean, I yeah. <laughs> How convenient, huh? <laughs> it's actually kind of funny because Emily, I think, on the podcast, she's like, "What am I, your in mother?" <laughs> <laughs> it was, it was, it was uh, a pretty good sound cool. point. Yeah, I definitely uh, agree but, with uh, Lil Chris. Uh, but a foul is a foul. Uh, she saw it. 
it's wrong, you know. Foul's a foul. Correct. Doesn't matter the outcome, you know. They both they both messed up. Yeah, it is what it is for sure. The facts don't lie. Yeah, I mean, I, I love the guy, but uh, I think he's he's a fair-minded enough invis- uh, individual to know that he he messed up on this one. And that was Layman. Um, I mean, he should have saw it. And I, I think that he's fair-minded enough. And he's he's told this to me in the past. He said, um, "I've had this conversation with him because I there's that one matchroom that ref that's if you if you listen to this podcast, you know that I do not." I'm not a fan of him. I think that he is anyways, doesn't matter. Uh, and I've talked oh. to John about this and John, John will say, and John will say is like, we all get calls wrong. The best that we can do is do the best that we can and try to learn from mistakes. And John Layman's told that to me before. And I, I guess I'm not, I'm not sure where, because he's out of the, out of the camera. We can't really tell where he's at. Uh, you know, it, does he have a good line at the nine ball? Um, is he able to see it properly? Is he looking yeah, at something Yeah, well, his else? job is to get over there to have a good look at it. So, sure. Yeah, you know, yep, that, I mean, yeah, that's definitely a thing. Yep. I think that there should be, you know, for especially the stream table matches, and I know they have one at the, the Moscone Cup, but there should definitely be a ref on – there should be a ref at the table and a ref on the camera. So if they oh. know it's foul on the camera, they should, you know, be able to say something to the ref at the table. Ah, just to, like calling New York in a baseball game. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> what do we got? Was that was he safe or not? Yep. So are exactly. you telling me that we need to start giving the players red flags so that if they want to challenge something, they can check a red <laughs> flag at the ref? Yeah, your opponent. <laughs> no, I'm just saying that I love it. I'm just saying that uh refs should uh there should be especially for those big matches, two refs. One, if one doesn't catch something, the one has the the camera. Well, to notice I, I, foul I, I think I think the second ref can be the player, right? Because at the end of the day, like we haven't really talked about Christina's Christina in this, but like, I mean, at some point in time, especially this is especially true with the amateurs, right? It is your responsibility as the opponent to uh, self ref the the match itself, right? So if um, yeah, I know that if that yeah, I mean, true. at you the end of the day, attention. like you're supposed to pay attention if you're the opponent. Yeah, it's disrespectful to stand up while your opponent is shooting. But uh, was Chris? Uh, I mean, it's kind of hard to see. Was Christina watching the shot? Was Was Christina's eyes on what was going on, or did she just kind of nonchalantly watch at it? And you know, maybe the second ref is supposed to be Christina there. Maybe Christina's yeah, supposed seen to Earl do that. Yeah. I've seen him do it. Get up out of his chair and go watch a hit. Yeah, Nate. The this predator tournament was all ball foul, right? All ball foul. I just put in. Well, I was in one of my matches. Uh, I I never played on the stream table, so I never had a constant ref watching. But um, one of my matches, the dude had to go over a shot. His shirt is completely resting on one of the balls, but there's no refs around. Oh, I, it, he ran out, but I still ended up winning the match. But if there was a ref around, you know, I wish okay, they would have said, about "Hey, you. there's a you know he's." I mean, I I if, this if, if I, I say if I say to him, "Hey, you just all ball fouled," you know, he might say, "No, I didn't." You know, it's going to be a probably be a pointless argument. So, uh, so I actually did talk to John about. I actually had a conversation with John um, exactly about the situation that you're talking about, and I, and I talked to him about this. So, all of the refs that are there are what are. Um, they're called zone refs, I think is, is what John told me that they're referred to as. So they are what's called the zone ref. So 
they have a zone that they ref, but their job is to basically oversee the zone, not to make calls within the zone. So that that includes John Lehman at the, at the feature table. And that's the way that Predator does their stuff. So uh, that is actually a thing. So like at the end of the day, it, it going back to this call, it kind of gets weird, right? Because if, uh, you know, if, if that same situation that happened in that match would have happened with your match, I don't think that the ref actually can call a foul on that person without you actually um, having a ref come over and like ask for a ref to come over to watch the shot. I don't know. I don't know that uh, the ball, him having the shirt on the ball is a foul. I mean, it is in a sense. And I mean, you can, you can say, all right, that's a foul. Your, your shirt was on the ball. Yeah. I mean, it it wasn't going to change anything that I knew that it wasn't going to change anything, but you know, if there was a ref watching and that was going to actually make a call, then it well, yeah, yeah. Could have been ball in hand for me. In the bigger tournaments, I mean, you see these when when there's balls uh, close to the rail and the player has to stretch out, and the players are tucking their shirts and then things like that, and they stretch out. And the refs, you will see them move and even lower themselves down, you know, to yeah. specifically watch that. That's the thing I like about the, um, the, ball. the Bob Stocks tournament in Virginia. There was a ref at every table. They had a ref. For every single table, really? there wasn't. Uh, I mean, there's only there's only like nine tables, but there's a ref for every table, so they could make those calls. The whole tournament, huh? For as long, yeah. A ref at every table. Wow, how nice. Well, I mean, did the refs rack the balls then too? Yes. Okay. Yeah. So I mean, that's that's kind of the. Um, I mean, maybe that's kind of the argument of what we're having here. Maybe John, and I don't. Maybe I need to have John on at some point in time to talk about this, but I don't know if. I mean, what's the point of having one ref on a feature table if, if they're going to be a zone ref still? I, I And that's what I asked him, and he's, you know, that's the way that they do it. So that's the answer that I got. That seems, it seems like it's consistent with the outside tables. But if it's going to be consistent with the outside tables, then why can't the players actually practice on the feature table, which is consistent with the outside tables? Right? You, you're, it just kind of seems like they're picking and choosing what they want to be consistent on, on the outside tables. Because, of course, the, the, the TV table is going to play more slippery the entire event because it doesn't get practiced on, you know, it gets probably by the end of the event, probably a quarter to a fifth of the actual table time that the outside tables get. And, you know, that probably that's going to make them play differently. It's, it's, it just, it seems to me that that's going to be something that they're going to have to address going forward. And it definitely doesn't look good to have that on stream and not give John the opportunity to call it uh, a foul, which doesn't seem consistent with what's to happen for the last, 20 events anyway so i i don't know it's, it's just a little bit goofy to me but i think at the end of the day john probably just missed this one and at the end of the day you know refs are going to miss calls they're going to get things wrong and yeah. you just hope that they learn from it going forward and that it's uh you know it's not it's not a problem going forward yeah, says and if, I, one call in six years so i mean we're we are human it does happen sure oh in one of our matches we had a ref we had a ref get a, a call wrong and uh <clears throat> he he said that uh She's she hockey. We had a, a player on our team. It was a double hit call, and she ends up. Uh, everybody, everybody was like uh, saying it was a good hit, including their team. Eight of the ten people that were involved with the match said it was a good hit, and two of them were like, "Well, I, I don't know the ref. The ref called it. I'm just staying out of it. I'm just going by what they okay. said." Including her opponent that she was playing against in that game said that was a good hit, but and she's like, "Well, he called a foul, so take it." And he's like, "All right, I'm going to take it, but I, I think that was a good hit." <laughs> and. Uh, so I, I kind of just casually walked up to the ref later 
And, uh, you know, just ask, you know, what, what about that was a foul? I just, you know, just out of curiosity, really, I'm just kind of poking the bear trying to instigate because that's just what I am. I'm just a troll. And the guy's like, well, she's, she sideswiped the cube or she swiped, she sideswiped the, the cue ball with her shaft. So he said that she followed oh. through and then pulled and the shaft the to the left and hit the cue ball. Ah. And that's why it was a foul. Okay. And that's why I it went, it that's why it went to the left. All right. So I don't know, whatever. But refs get things wrong all the time. They don't know the rule book. They don't understand. And I mean, at the end of the day, if you're going to pay somebody peanuts, you're going to pay them travel and food and 40 bucks a day. Of course, it's not going to you know require the best refs in the world, right? I mean, the best refs in the world aren't going to work for peanuts, you know? And we, yeah. we saw we saw what the NFL looked like when they had replacement refs like four or five years ago. It was it was <laughs> pathetic. You know, it's it's but they're paid the best too. I mean, the, the NFL refs are paid the best because they're the best, right? We're not paying our refs the best because there's no money in pools. So you can't afford to pay the refs the best refs the money that they're entitled because well, you can't afford them. And so sure. you kind of get what you can get. And sometimes that's okay, and sometimes that's not okay. Just as what yeah, it is. I sure am impressed with the refs uh that I that I watched at uh you know, at the World Masters, you got that was just they're just they're really on it on top of so that they are. Yeah, I, I will definitely impressive. never question. I will definitely never question the idea that they are there in tune and they are ready to go every single shot. They are looking at exactly what they need to look at. I just have a problem with the fact that they they get they get calls wrong all the time and they'll go back to video evidence and they'll still get it wrong because they're too arrogant to change it to the right call. Oh. It just happens so much. It's just so arrogance. Much. Oh. Well, the scoop shot with Sanjin and then the the three rail kick or the two rail kick for Shane. I just don't understand. I just don't understand how if you have a ball frozen to a rail and the object ball at the same time that you can't understand that 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 that's a rail, that's a hit. What what's what's hard to understand about that? I just don't understand how how you can how you can get that wrong when you have slow motion and you're going back to the the camera and watching it for four or five minutes i just don't understand how you can still get that wrong it just doesn't make sense to me so i don't know uh i guess is uh, with that being said anything else we want to talk about anything else you guys got coming up what i have a fella in the basement right now putting my gabriel uh carom table together pretty and, uh, fun it, well it was interesting because one of the slates we broke it when we were uh, take tearing it down, uh, and a whole chunk of of one of the slates broke off. So now you have a two piece slate, like a third of, a third of it. So we we bonded it together last night. And now he's down there. I can hear the uh, I can hear stuff in the basement. So I'm gonna have to say goodbye, everybody. Yeah, we're all good. We're 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 closing up here anyway. Sam, anything coming up you want to uh, announce? Uh, I don't think so. Yeah. Okay. Not, well. not quite. Um, yeah, n nothing much. We do have a new sponsor to the uh, the podcast, so I would like to thank Horo Tips. Uh, I've actually oh, been playing with these on my cues now. They are absolutely phenomenal, phenomenal tips. Uh, I've been trying to miss Q with my break tip. Uh, I've been trying to miscue on the break and I can't, it's, it's, it, it grips like a shooting tip, but it has the power of a break tip. It's absolutely fantastic. So well, what's the name of it again? Uh, Horo tips. How spell it? H O R O tips. So they're a company out of Portugal. 
They're absolutely phenomenal. And of course, we always want to thank the rest of our sponsors anyways. With Where do we get them? I have some. If you want if you want to try some, you reach out to me. I'll get you hooked up, Rob. We get them from Nate Mindham. Okay. And if anybody else has any and they want to try it out, inbox me. They are uh, 20, 25 bucks a piece. Inclu- that includes shipping. We'll get them sent anywhere Ooh, in the world. Included so. shipping. Oh, boy. Including shipping. Good to go. So, uh, Rob, uh, I guess thanks for joining me. Sam, thanks for joining me. I want to thank our uh, our uh, sponsor, Jacoby, of course, because they sponsor all these all these podcasts. And with that, let me uh, let me do a quick ad for Jacoby because they are the best in the business, and we got to constantly remind you. Yeah, that's it. Here's Jacoby. Wake up, Sam. <laughs> and, well, I'm going uh, to call Brandon and, and and talk to him about the background music a little, just a little bit on that. <laughs> oh, stop it. It's relaxing. And I want to thank our patrons that allow us to continue doing all of this. So thank you to Ben Young. Uh, Dave, I'm, I, I need Jim here for this. Heisbauer, uh, Dave, David Wiersma. Uh, Mo Bashir, Cody Wedig, Ed Ladawi, who has been in the chat, and Matt Poland, who has been in the chat, and uh, Morgan Lupton. Thank you all very much for your support of the podcast. And uh, I guess with that, let's close it out for the week. Thanks, Sam, and thanks, Rob, and congratulations again, Sam. Thank you, Nate. Incredible performance. He's the man. All right. Yep. All right. Take care, everyone.